Thank you guys for choosing Weekly Politics again. And this week, it's a bit of a mess. We've got Ukraine updates, Russian updates, American updates, and even more American updates. So be sure to stay tuned. Starting with the Ukrainian updates. And recently, you guys probably saw this on a bunch of different news sites. We've got Russia doing a partial military draft. Not really a draft, but partial military mobilization would be the correct term. What that really means for Ukraine we're not entirely sure. Uh, basically, a military mobilization is different than a draft because if you're mobilizing troops, you're saying, hey, you guys were troops, or at least currently are troops, whether you're veterans or you're in the reserve, I'm going to mobilize you guys together and put you back onto the front lines. That's basically what you're saying. If you're having a military draft, you're saying, hey, you're not part of the military, but you need to be. So I'm going to draft you in, I'm going to make you part of the military. So the people they're mobilizing are already, or at least were already a part of the military. And these people are going to go through training and they're re go through training anyway, and they're going to head to the front lines to help fight in the Ukrainian war. We don't entirely know what this is going to look like. Uh, what we can tell you right now is that Russia has actually extended their prison sentence for people who try to avoid this, because there are people trying to avoid it. In fact, when they announced this, the flights to get out of Russia, the tickets for those went up to their highest point in a long time. So people are leaving the country. They don't they don't want to be part of this mobilization. They're afraid that what if Russia extends it? What if, say, I don't know, they do a full on draft or at least a draft of people who aren't in the military for certain ages? What if they did that? There's no telling, really. The reason why Russia is doing this is because they can't actually afford to lose. Putin is extremely arrogant. We all know that. He doesn't like the idea of losing. And so what he's doing is he's basically flailing. Right now, there's a counteroffensive going on in Ukraine, which means Ukraine is actually fighting back. They're not going into the Russian borders. They're just taking back territory that Russia took from them, especially in northern Ukraine. North Eastern Ukraine, I should say, Northeastern Ukraine. In Northeast Ukraine, uh, Russia moved troops from Northeast Ukraine to help stop a counteroffensive going on in Southern Ukraine. And when they did that, Ukraine pushed on Northeastern Ukraine and basically took it back, or most of it back. They're still going on today. They're not back at the Russian border yet. Crimea is still in Russia's hands and, you know, that stuff, but it's working. It's working from what we can see right now. This partial mobilization for Russia probably won't do anything because, yes, they might get more troops and more people that can carry a gun, but they, do they actually have more equipment? And they don't actually have more equipment, so that's not going to change anything. In order for to make their troops effective, they need equipment to do that, and they don't have that. They're actually trying to buy North Korean equipment which is really funny because North Korea doesn't domestically make their military weapons. They buy them from Russia and China. So Russia's failing. They say they're going to get 300,000 personnel from this, but they're not. They can't train 300,000 at one time. So even if they were to, there'd be at least 150,000 just sitting there waiting to get trained. And during that time, there's guarantee there's going to be people who desert it. And then if, 
for somehow some magical way, let's pretend they somehow get enough people to train 300,000 personnel at the exact same time. They'll be ready in about a month, which means we have, or Ukraine has a month to prepare for this. And I wouldn't be surprised if they already started preparing for this before the, the mobilization actually started. Which really, what is really interesting though, is you remember at the start of this war, we all shot out uh, sanctions at Russia saying it would help, but it's not helping. We've seized yachts, we've taken airplanes, we've, what haven't we done? We've basically isolated them from the Western economy. And I remember the lowest point, the Russian ruble was at 0 0.009 United States dollars. Right now it's at 0 0.017. But that means is that their economy is getting back into shape. They have allies like Iran, China, Syria, and India. And those nations are selling them oil. They're buying their oil, selling them weapons. They're buying their weapons. It's like a mutual trade relationship. I'm sure you guys don't want to hear me talk about Russia all day. I despise Russia. I can't stand talking about them for more than 10 minutes at a time. I'd probably have already done that. But let's go to some American updates. Joe Biden, specifically. We all know he likes to talk to us about how we are a threat to democracy. Half the nation is a threat to democracy because we're Republicans who voted for Trump. But that makes us a threat to democracy, apparently. Okay. I don't understand his line of thought here. So first of all, we cannot take over the government because we need F-15s to do that. But when a bunch of people rally up by the Capitol and they start, you know, walking to the Capitol and taking Nancy Pelosi's laptop, that is a threat to democracy. That is dangerous. Let me tell you. Yeah, that is so bad. We didn't even have an F-15 and oh boy, we sure got him good there, didn't we? Man, ridiculous, this guy. I'm telling you, let's just look at some polls here. Uh, last time I checked, we actually are winning for the polls in terms of midterms. And that's probably good news for everyone because no one wants these Democrats to be in charge for much longer. What they've been doing, all this green stuff and whatnot. California, you can't even buy a brand new gas powered car in 2035 anymore, which is dumb, which means 19 other states are going to make similar laws because 19 other states are following California's, eh, what do they call them? climate example. So special. So uh, I'm sorry if you live in California or any of those disgusting places, but yeah, sorry. So what I can see right now is I'm looking at 538. It's a polling website. And what it looks like in, that's November 8 in Wisconsin, we've got a one point Democratic lead, which means Barnes for Senate. But it's not exactly what I'm looking for. So it's basically the only states that are actually supposed to uh, flip are the good states. So in Wisconsin's Senate election, we've got Johnson against Barnes. And what it looks like, so Barnes won 
the Democratic primary, obviously, and we've got Johnson, who won the Republican primary, obviously. And in Wisconsin, it looks like it's a 56% versus 44%, which is a very significant lead of 12%. That's a 12-point lead by Johnson as of right now. And if history tells us anything, Republicans tend to take the lead later on or tend to gain more popularity later on closer to the actual midterms. That's not necessarily true with actual presidential elections, but it's mostly true with Republicans. In Florida, obviously, we've got DeSantis winning for governor. Uh, Arizona, which is going to be super interesting, we've got Carrie Lake running for governor, which is not the Ducci guy, but it is a fairly decent Republican. I listened to her speak in Arizona with uh, what's their names? I'm sorry. I'm really bad with senators and whatnot. I'm not so bad with governors. I'm trying to learn, though. So I heard her speak with the uh, House and Senate people who are running in Arizona, as well as Ron DeSantis. She's actually really good. She sounds like a DeSantis, but in Arizona. So like DeSantis, but not DeSantis. She's actually super good, by the way. Super good on the border. Super good on the economy. Love it. If... If she becomes president, I can almost guarantee you we will see Arizona flip from purple to red, at least for a little while. That would be great. Uh, Iowa, pretty much all Republican-leaning. Basically, in every single state except for obvious Pacific states, it's Republicans leading. We've got some Democratic uh, popularity in a couple southern states like Texas, which seems to be flipping in certain areas, like southern Texas, the southern uh, boot part of Texas by Mexico, southeastern part, you've got Democratic support. And then the big city parts like Dallas, Austin, Houston, obviously you've got more Democratic support. Same as in Louisiana, you've got New Orleans, which is really where the only Democrats actually are. New Mexico is pretty liberal. It's probably going to stay that way. Florida, there are liberal parts, but they're actually turning red, even in big cities like Miami. So that's an interesting development. Basically, all of the, what you'd call uh, present-day Confederate states are most likely going to stay red, except for New Mexico. That's, it's blue. <laughs> it's, it's blue. That's, that's really all there is to it. Utah is all red. It, yeah. Most of the red states are staying red. Most of the blue states are becoming at least contested, if not flipping, with the exception of California. Even Oregon might flip in terms of the governor. The governor might be voted in as, as a Republican. Pretty sure he's going to be a rhino, but it's a step in the right direction, hopefully. So midterms are looking good. So you hear on the news, uh, Republicans, are they really going to keep the lead in the midterm elections? Looks like Democrats are catching up, and it looks like we're going to lose. No, we're not going to lose this election. It's really not even a competition. Democrats are picking up steam right now because they canceled student loan debt and gas is down in price, which is true. The issue is it's not down in price from when it originally was when Trump was president. I can accept a gas price of about $2.50 a gallon. Right now, it's about $3.45 in my state. I live in a fairly cheap state, by the way. So yeah, I all of Americans are seeing this like, hey, yeah, gas prices are down. This is excellent. But guess what? They were down even lower. 
and they should be. Not only this, but inflation is still at 8%. It's not going up above 8 and 9%, but it's staying there. So it's at a high, but it's not going down. That's the issue. And when the federal government just com continues to raise the interest rates, what's for your, what you're going to see happen here is basically an economic confusion. So it's like, let's say you have a, let's say you have five loans. You got, no, two loans. We'll make it simple. If you got two loans, you got a loan on your car, which is by a dealer. The dealer's private, private car dealer. Okay. So it's a private loan, three loans. You got a private loan on your car. You got a federal loan on your school for college because you're a 25 year old man. Let's say that. And then you've got a mortgage on your house. Two of those things the federal government is going to control. The first thing they're controlling is the house loan. Second thing they're controlling is your student debt loan because you took it from the government and not a private loaner. The first loan you have, you have to pay off. It does not matter what's going on. You have to pay it off. That's a private person. You took it from a private dealer, which good job. You're supposed to take them from private dealers. Government messes everything else up. It's a private loan. You have to pay that off. But if you have a... Let's say your student loan debt, which Biden just canceled, you don't have to pay that off anymore. So let's let's look at this in the eyes of the average 25, 30-year-old man. Your student loan debt is canceled. So you're like, yay, Biden actually wants to get rid of our student loan debt. He actually wants to help us. But then your mortgage rate's rising. What did you expect to happen? I mean, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? Because now you're paying nothing on school, but now you have to pay more in your house. Is the government actually helping you? No, they're not. First of all, the student loan debt canceling, I don't know how long it's going to last. its I don't even know if Biden had the power to do that, but he did it. So, yeah. you are You might not be the person who ends up paying for that, but your kids and your grandkids for sure will. Taxes will need to be raised in order to do that, and the American economy is just going to get weaker because of that fact. I hear people make the arguments that, yes, but this is incredible because now we're spending money into the economy that we weren't originally spending into the economy because we're spending it on federal loans. But here's the thing. When we give the government money, that's considered economy. In fact, the government makes up 47% of all economic transactions in the United States of America, which means 53% are made by citizens, people who just come here to visit, people who are outside of the country and import things. It comes, basically the government is the majority of the economy. I do not believe from everything I've seen, there is not a single group larger than the US government in terms of how much they spend in the American economy. Not a single group. Even when we talk about economic curves and if your majority population is 35 to 45 years old you're gonna your economy is gonna shoom up because they're hard workers so the people who work and make the most money they're the people who purchase the most things even if you have that nothing's gonna change the government is 47 percent of the economy yes your economy will shoot up when you're 35 to 45 years old because that's the way it works. That's the way uh, economics works in terms of the macro sense. But if the government is 47% of the economy and you're giving the government an enormous sum of money through your taxes and your federal loans, and then they cancel those federal loans, so now you have to spend more money on what you, what technically what inflation is changing the price of. So I put it in super simple terms. 
Government is the economy. You are giving the economy money. And then that larger sense of the economy sends it back to you to spend in a different part of the economy. You're not growing the economy by canceling student debt. You're simply shifting the economy. It's called a supply and demand curve, and it shifts. It can shift to the right, it can shift to the left. Basically, that just depends on whether you're buying more product or less product. And in this case, nothing because inflation. So you're still spending the same amount of money in your tax and not taxes on your uh, bills like electric, water, whatever. You get the point. Gas, all that fun stuff. So really, when you cancel student debt, you're not growing the economy. You're just making it super convoluted and annoying because now the government has to get that money back somehow. And they will by raising the taxes. And the more they raise the taxes, the more the higher percent the government is of the economy. Because the more money that goes to them, the more they can spend on their green nonsense. Speaking of green nonsense. In California, I just told you that they banned gas cars for new gas cars, brand new gas cars for 2035. Almost the second they did that. They decided to tell every single one of their citizens not to charge their electric cars because it might strain the already strained power grid. California said that. California is supposed to be making enormous amounts of energy every single summer. And it's summer. And their power grid is strained. And in the winter, they make very little amount of power compared to what they make in the summer. Maybe we shouldn't decide to go green. Maybe we should just be like, hey, what works best in this situation? For example, high-speed rail trains for cargo, what works really good for them is if the rail is actually electrified. And the reason why this works well is because people don't actually go by high-speed rails in, for cargo trains anyway, because there's no roads that really crisscross them. And when there are, they're not high-speed rails. So what would really work for them is to send electricity through the rails. And this is put into place in Japan recently but that would work super well it's an electric train and it works well for high speed trains what doesn't work well is an electric car once it breaks down you got to buy a new battery in order to buy a new battery you basically got to buy a new car and who knows when it's going to break down electric cars are notorious for breaking down at inconsistent times i've seen teslas which are about the highest quality electric car you can buy right now I've seen them last for 300,000 miles. I've also seen them last for 25,000 miles. So really, it's hit and miss. So let's not be green. Let's be a bit more gaseous. Let's, let's go back to gas-powered cars. Let's go back to even uh, natural gas for electricity. Even that's fine. I mean, originally, we are just like, oh, this is green energy. I mean, technically, it's not, but... It works really well. This quite abundant, super easy to get, super cheap. It works super well in terms of energy, so I'm fine with it. What's interesting is Germany. I know everyone here is definitely not a history buff, but let me just put this into perspective. Germany has nationalized one of their largest oil giants in the nation. Mainly, get okay, so. Their reasoning is because the oil giant is struggling, right? And they need, well, 
doors in struggling because their gases are expensive and whatnot. You get the point. And so what they're doing is nationalizing it to help stabilize it. But what they're not telling you is they actually just grabbed an enormous amount of oil from Russia, oil drills from Russia that Russia had there. So do they really need to nationalize that? Nope. So what on earth are they doing with it? I've got no idea. You're going to have to ask the chancellor of Germany. I don't know why they still have a chancellor. Last time they had one, they had a massive world war over it. Let's go to some defensive updates now. I'm not a big fan of talking about Germany because I've got mixed feelings about them. Really, I just don't like them, but yeah. Some interesting things that I'm super interested in and really excited to see. So according to militaryspot.com, a new bomber, which is called the B-21 Raider, is going to be unveiled within the first weeks of December. It's going to be like the B-2 Spirit, so a stealthy wing-shaped bomber. It's going to be super cool to see. Can't wait to see it. And it's also going to be tested in terms of extreme weather testing in South Dakota, which will be interesting to see. I believe it's going to be like upper center part of South Dakota. There's a military base up there somewhere. I can't remember what it was called, but yeah. And we all know why this bomber is being produced. We're producing because our threats with China or our enemy of China is becoming more and more aggressive in terms of their neighbors. China is now a regional superpower, not a world superpower, a regional superpower, which means they can attack and almost obliterate any single nation in their region, the Asian Southeast Asia, Oceania region. They cannot, on the other hand, obliterate almost any other nation in the world like America can. That's the difference between a world and regional superpower. And so we're building these massive stealthy planes to attack Russia and China, but China specifically. And what we just found out is the F-35 actually has a magnet inside it made by a Chinese manufacturer. So what the Pentagon did is they halted F-35 deliveries. They're looking into it. They're like, well, does China actually know what's inside the F-35 now just because of the single magnet? What's going on here? So F-35 deliveries to the United States have been halted. Good news. We're going to find out what's going on with that later. Uh, We'll see where this goes. It could go anywhere, really. It could be that the United States decides to it pause them indefinitely. Probably not, though. Or it could be that it's just a false alarm and it's, I don't know, literally just a magnet. Never know. So I'm going to try something new here. We're going to talk about a different topic. I don't usually talk about space very often. I'm, I myself am super interested in space, especially when it comes to privatization of space, like SpaceX, Blue Origin, all those companies. I really enjoy watching the rockets fly up, seeing the contracts that they have, and really just thinking about how they're able to run their business because the only way they can actually contract is with big companies, billion-dollar companies, and governments. That's really the only way they can contract because it's so expensive. But it's getting more competitive. There's a new company launch. I can't remember what it was called now, but it, it claims that it will be able to beat SpaceX in terms of the price to launch a satellite into orbit ratio. I don't know if that's going to be true or not because SpaceX is already crazy cheap since their rockets are reusable. 
But we'll see where that goes. And NASA has been failing a lot lately. We have all know that NASA is supposed to get to the moon in two years, and the Artemis rocket is what's supposed to bring us there in two years. But we still haven't successfully launched the Artemis rocket. We've had multiple tests after tests, and they've all failed. Kind of like our hypersonic missile test, they failed, failed, failed. Now they're succeeding, but they failed for quite a long time before that. It adds a lot of interesting things going on. So really, that's all I've got for space. It's, yeah, new topic. Not very much to talk about because it takes a while for events to build up in space. So it's like hit or miss on whether or not I want to talk about it. Because, yes, it's super interesting, but it takes me like two minutes to cover it. And that's it. Really, it's super easy to talk about. But something you should be doing right now is looking at polls. Like I just went over, according to 530A and whatnot, these polls are looking very good for Republicans, and 538 tends to be slightly skewed to the left, which means they're typically biased towards the left. And that's not a good thing at all, especially in a time right now. But when you look at these, we're winning in every single way. So what I want you to do is look at these polls, but don't just look at them. I want you to go in and vote. Vote in these polls because it does not matter whether Republicans are ahead in them or behind in them. It literally does not matter whatsoever. What actually matters is whether or not you vote because your vote actually counts. So just go ahead during uh, the November elections. I want you to vote for whatever your Republican state candidate is and hope for the best. Pray for the best. It's about time we flip this nation back to what it used to be under Trump and Reagan. That's all I've got planned for today. Some stories I'm going to be covering in the future. I'm continuing to watch the development with the unions and Biden because we all know Biden just struck a deal, like I said, but it could cause more unions to go on strike just because they realize Biden's going to give in like that. I'm also going to be watching Germany as they start nationalizing more and more companies and the Russian and Ukrainian updates. So stay tuned for that, guys. And I'll see you all next time. Adios. God bless you.